So it's 11 a.m. is our start time. Uh, so let's uh, let's pray and get started on our on our topic. Um, Lord, thank you for for this day. Thank you for the sunshine that we see. Thank you for the law that we have just heard read and preached upon. And thank you for Jesus, who is our righteousness before your law. And we thank you for your church in which we are embedded this morning as believers. And we lift our time to you now and ask you to bless it as we think about your work in history, redemptive work throughout the ages. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we are coming to the topic of, um, of church history. Uh, and we want to make it as engaging and as interesting as possible, obviously, as we would want to make anything. Uh, we had a couple of requests, actually, to study church history or go through a, a timeline of of church history, and we discussed it and thought that that would be now would be an opportune time. You know, we flipped our 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 topic our teaching times from topical items, more contemporary focused things, and and this obviously will be sort of more. I don't want to call it academic because I am in no way an academic, the way others may be in our congregation, but I am a lover of history and a somewhat of an amateur historian to some degree, I guess you might say. I have a real interest in history because for me personally, when I understand the roots and the origin of a thing, I find out more about who I am as a person. So we could think about Southern history as you Look, most all of us are Southerners, I think, native Southerners. If we could, we could study our own regional history and we come to understand who we are and why things are as they are and it's all because of what's gone before, etc. We could break that down to the history of Hernando and we could broaden it to the nation's history. And the world. In this focus, we're talking about the church's history. We're talking about the community that believers in this room right now are connected to is too light of a word. The church is the believer's sustenance, nourishment. The church is the community that gives life to us, nurtures our faith, where we are discipled. It is our spiritual home. And so what better history to study than the history of the church? I meant to look up the source of this. Um, this got to come off. It's too hot. Uh, the source of um, the quote, and some of you can tell it to me, um, who said it, Apologize for not looking it up. For all, for maybe it was Augustine. 
for all who would call the church, uh, the God their father, for all who would call God their father, the church is their mother. It is, the, who said it? Does anyone know? See, it's Augustine. Cyprian and Augustine. They said it together. They sang it. Yeah. So, here we are. The story of the church through time. The witness of those who have gone before us. Um, the topic of study. And here we go with, there's a slide that works. Okay, so this will go through uh, some time. It'll be an offering. I'm going to take these first five. Slide change error. Okay. that it? I'm going to take these first five sessions, and then you will see, it's so strange, it broke, it's breaking down all the slides, so this is the technology. I'll take these first five sessions, we're going to start at the beginning this morning, uh, and we'll go up through about uh, 500 or 600 AD, something like that, first 600 years of church history, over five sessions, and then Sean will come, and is it still, what's happening? Brother Sean, <laughs> that's appropriate. The, <laughs> the, the <laughs> slide change error. The remote could not confirm the requested slide change occurred. Yeah, okay. Uh, Sean and then Jim. Anyway, we'll go through church history. You get the point. So, uh, okay, we're on session one. Can you see that? Yes, we're going to do a little introduction, which we've already started on, and we'll go through the church's uh, very, very early life. So why learn church history? I already launched into to some of that, but on the right-hand side of the slide, you will see just a couple of scripture references, and I sort of hinted at it in the Kingdom Moment comments this morning, uh, we, are, we are encouraged, not only another too light of a word, we are uh, directed by Scripture to remember. In fact, all of Israel stumbles when they forget. <laughs> when they forget where they come from, remember this day. Remember, remember, and you see the Scripture references there. You shout the one in, um, in Deuteronomy. Um, sorry, my slide keeps moving. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Remember. Uh, why does it, uh, Heath, why does this keep bouncing back? Okay, thank you. Um, so there's that remember. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I remember your wonders of old. That's in the psalm. And then the, um, the one there that is uh, in Deuteronomy. Uh, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders that, you will, that, uh, that they will tell you. So there's all of that history to be remembered. And this... Each time that pops up on my screen, I go back to slide one and I have to think back through it. That were okay. 
So, uh, as you, I'll look up here. Here we go. Okay, so, here, no, go backwards. Why learn the history? Better equipped to cultivate your hearts and minds in truth. We live in a day, and perhaps all ages have this to some degree, where there is skepticism uh, about what's occurred in the past. Uh, there's, there's critique in ways that wants to invalidate history. Not to say that all history is good. It's not. History does need to be critiqued. But now it's critiqued in a way that cancels <laughs> anything considered to be invalid. So we need to understand that his, the, the history of the church embodies certain truths about our faith. We need to equip our hearts and minds in that truth. Provide perspective on our current joys and sorrows. We think we're troubled. We think we have troubles. We can gain real perspective from those who have walked before us. And in many respects, we have no troubles in comparison to what has occurred uh, in times gone by. And then to grow in love for Jesus and his providential care for those whom he has called. Just to grow in love and knowledge and understanding of our heritage. So that's why I study it. Next slide. So what is the church? Uh, we need to answer that question before we go into it. Uh, the, the church is referenced in the Bible with the word ecclesia. Um, Ecclesia, I guess, might be the proper pronunciation. There is no equivalent between church and ecclesia. Ecclesia in Greek in the Bible refers to an assembly that's called out, but it assigns no meaning to the word necessarily as a religious assembly. Church, the word church comes down from Old England, Old English, and it does have an association with those who are assembled to worship God. That's where we get the word church, and I think there's a reference there uh, in the old English, C-I-R-C-E. That's where our church word comes, comes from, but it's, uh, the, the Greek word is ekklesia. And then the next slide. What and who is the church? Uh, and we have the reference in, um, in the gospel uh, where Peter... Christ asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ, uh, the Son of God. And Jesus returns and replies, you are Peter, the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. This is the first initiation, Christ's intention to build the community of believers. Now, the brothers and sisters across the way over here at the Roman Catholic Church, and some of you have Roman Catholic backgrounds, will use this to make Peter out as the first pope. And this begins the process of apostolic succession of papal authority. I'm building my church on the papacy, Peter. This is not what the uh, verse means. The verse means that the confession of Christ as Savior, Son of God, is the rock upon which the church is built. It's, uh, it's built upon that confession. Um, 
not the person. Now, just to further illuminate what is the church, let's reference uh, briefly the, the Westminster uh, Confession to describe what the church is. It's chapter 25, and it provides for us uh, a very clear definition of um, our description of the church. The Catholic, as in universal, not Roman Catholic, which is invi- the Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the have been, are, and shall be gathered into one under Christ and head thereof and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that fulfilleth all in all. This is, this is the church. This is what our confession tells The visible church, which is also called Catholic or universal under the gospel, is not confined to a nation as before under the law, but consists of all of those throughout the world who profess true religion. And it goes on, unto this Catholic visible church, Catholic and uh, universal church, Christ has given the ministry, oracles, ordinance of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world, and doth by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, make them effectual thereunto. What does that mean? Our confession teaches us then that the church, all who would call God Father, the church is their mother. It nourishes, it gathers, it binds up together and um, disciples believers unto eternal life, that being the church. So when we talk about the history of the church, we're talking about a very profound, holy and sacred entity, what more important history could one study than, than that? Just one more about in, uh, in the Westminster Confession, there are about six paragraphs, uh, and this will come up in our study of history. The purest churches under heaven, the purest churches under heaven are subject to both mixed error Our church is filled up with redeemed sinners subject to fallen natures and it's subject to error. The session is subject to error. The denomination is subject to error. We've got churches all across the land that are right now in deep error and erring clearly. So we must understand that we have to love, care, nourish, cherish. It's not an autopilot kind of thing um, it's subject to error just one more on the church because I, Jim quoted the Heidelberg Catechism uh, this morning on a number of occasions and it's a catechism that's beautiful and it's one that I love because it's call and response is so caring and pastoral um, that uh, it's very, very good, and I'm looking for the, for the question. Hold on one second. Page one. And I apologize. I, 
I can't call it out to you, Jim, if you if you would look. It's around. Oh, there it is. I knew I wrote down that number. It might help if I reference my own material. The Heidelberg Catechism. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? That out of the whole human race, from the beginning to the end of the world, the Son of God, by His Holy Spirit and Word, gathers, defends, and preserves for Himself unto everlasting life a chosen communion in the unity of true faith, and that I, and forever shall remain, a living member of the same. Beautiful, beautiful, concise statement of the church. So it is. Uh, what and who is the church? All right, next time. This is my gadget. So have you uh, worked with Chatbot, uh, or what's it called, GPT Chat, or something like that? It's artificial intelligence. It, I see a few nods. Gee whiz, it's creepy. Have y'all looked at it? It's spooky. That's a, that's a good word for it. You can drop in. Uh, you know, I ask it to, uh, can you write these verses in Greek? I was asking it about the word ekklesia, uh, ekklesia and uh, asking it where that was found in the Bible and what it meant and all that stuff. And I said, well, can you write it in Greek? And so it writes it out in Greek. But, of course, you could sort of Google those things, but you can ask this AI uh, device. You know, I've asked it. Will you write a mission statement for a city planning company who does work in small towns across the country? It writes a great mission statement. <laughs> I, uh, can you write a poem? Well, uh, last night at the restaurant, can you write a poem about a tree? It writes this nice little poem. About, it, it, it's creepy. It's creepy stuff. So, next slide. Keep going till I get the whole thing. All right, so where do we begin? Uh, we obviously begin at the beginning. And biblical revelation uh, will give us that beginning, uh, starting in the book of Acts. And we will call out our starting point in the New Testament, book of Acts, chapter 2. Jesus has uh, ascended into heaven and... The apostles are gathered together in Jerusalem and they are instructed to wait on the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the Holy Spirit does indeed come. Acts 2 tells us of this uh, Pentecost experience. And we can read it. If you have your Bibles, you might flip there. I'm not going to ask you to read, but... Um, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place, they being those that had been following Christ, the apostles, and some others. They had gathered in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven like a sound, mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house, and there they were uh, sitting, and it goes on, uh, the state, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, there were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation. And the Holy Spirit sweeps over, as promised by Jesus, this gathering in Jerusalem. And um, 
and moves these, this group of people um, to, to faith. And the manifestation of tongues occurs. And at this time, people accuse them of being drunk. These people are crazy. And Peter, the disciple of Christ, the one who is rebuked the most by Christ, the one who is outspoken, uh, has a hard time controlling his temper, is a flawed man, the one who denies Christ, stands uh, three times at the very end of his life, stands up and preaches a sermon, and you will see it preach. Uh, the heading in my Bible says, at, um, at Pentecost. And he essentially lays out the gospel um, before the, the people there who were saying he is, um, he's drunk. Where did we go? Or the people were drunk. Oh, yeah, okay. Where's the slide? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Um, so from that point, the first church, this is the first gathering, the ecclesia, the assembling together that Christ has promised, the first church is essentially established right here in Jerusalem. The spot is Jerusalem, and all the first congregation, now these people had come in uh, to Jerusalem, and they're going to disperse back out of Jerusalem uh, and go other places to their other communities because they're from all over the place. And as they leave, that story will begin to, to spread and populate around the various places in the Middle East. But the core church, the mother church, the Ryman Auditorium of churches is, uh, is right here in, uh, in the Jerusalem church. Peter preaches, and when those People travel back to their places. They're going back to synagogues. And so the first churches uh, or the first messages of Christ are being spread in synagogues throughout the uh, Middle East, Turkey and Greece and uh, Israel and so forth. Those were the first uh, convert communities. And we immediately go from conversion of Jewish people to belief in Christ to internal strife. That's the progression. Belief, strife. And the strife is when the truth of Christ, the declaration of the gospel, it immediately bumps up against uh, uh, all the other philosophies and um, the, the Jews' system of belief as well. So the internal strife, well, we could go to Acts 11. Before we go to Acts 11, I'm going to insert uh, Acts chapter 5, uh, wherein Stephen, the community in Jerusalem is um, growing, and they describes they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to, uh, to prayer and fellowship. That's what the community is doing. Some began, it grew. Uh, they were also sharing their goods in common, and they were caring for those who couldn't care for themselves, widows and others. And some complained as the thing grew 
and grew in complexity and there needed to be more organization, that their uh, widows were being neglected. Um, and so what, what did they do? We all know this story. What, what occurred? They appointed deacons to, uh, to service. And one who was appointed was a, was a man named Stephen. And um, actually it's in uh, Acts chapter 6 where they, they chose seven people to serve, one of whom was Stephen. Stephen's um, character. This deacon was grace and power. Um, wonderful description of this servant of God, humble servant of God. He is. Uh, he comes into a dispute with the with the other with some other Jews. There's a dispute about what is being done in the name of Christ versus Jewish teaching. They're proclaiming Christ to be the Messiah. The other Jews are saying, no, he's not. What are you talking about? You're crazy. You're, you're blaspheming Moses. You're, you're denigrating our traditions. Um, and so Stephen makes a powerful defense in Acts 6 and 7, which we won't read. A powerful defense of the gospel. And what is the constant? This is the first internal thing. This is right out of the gate. We have believers who are fellowshipping, and they are bumping up against opposition immediately. And uh, Stephen defends. What is the fate of Stephen? He becomes the first martyr of the church. He's stoned. When Stephen is stoned, in the description of, of Stephen... Uh, stoning uh, is over in uh, chapter 7 beginning in verse 54. Uh, he's stoned. He, they drag him out as he defends the gospel. Uh, he begins to be killed. The scripture describes him as seeing heaven. And then he fell asleep. And that's the end of Stephen for defending the gospel. In the crowd... There was one watching who was to uh, approved of the stoning, was for it, perhaps threw some stones. That's speculation. Uh, and that person was Paul, who uh, shortly becomes the great, converts on, on the road um, and becomes the greatest um, early church evangelist there is. So, so this is the internal strife. There's other strife as well. Now, in Jerusalem, and there's a controversy in Jerusalem. This is a small Jerusalem-based situation, uh, mostly confined there for the moment. And Acts chapter 11 will describe for us another internal controversy. Because there were some Gentile people coming to the cause of Christ, um, there was an argument well, do they have to be circumcised? So the Judaizers, and we've heard this, you've heard this taught uh, over in Acts chapter, chapter 11, uh, where there is the... Um, the dispute about to what degree Gentiles could be incorporated uh, into the body of Christ. 
And here we have Peter again. Peter uh, arguing, no, we, you don't have to be circumcised. That That is, uh, is done away with in, uh, in the coming of Christ. So those are the internal conflicts, just some of them, just a snippet. The next slide. Uh, next slide. Uh, we are, didn't we already do that? Next slide. Uh, so this is, uh, yeah, go back one. All right, so we got the church forming from 34 to 64 A.D. Acts tell we already talked about uh, Pentecost and uh, Peter preaching the first communities in the synagogues, in the internal matters, the Jewish converts, and then now the map. And here we go. I don't have my laser pointer up here. But as we look at the geography of the place, everything is occurring over on the right-hand corner uh, where Jerusalem is. And all of those little red lines, you probably have this map in the back of your Bible. Uh, some of you will. I think I saw you looking at it earlier, Wes. Uh, Paul's missionary journeys. And so he begins, after his conversion... Uh, Paul begins to evangelize from Jerusalem over to Rome and all of these various journeys along the way that, uh, that Paul makes uh, during this time of the church's beginning. And remember, he's going to synagogues in these different places. So we've got a mother church in Jerusalem. We've got little spots out around the uh, countryside or the other countries and cities uh, where people have, have some knowledge of Christ, perhaps have heard the message, might be believers. And then we have Paul visiting those places and teaching in the synagogues. And there's um, our, uh, our book of Acts will tell us about, you know, various disturbances in the synagogues that get run out of cities sometimes. And there's just a constant uh, pushback on, uh, on what's going on. So this is the world then of... Um, of the early church. So as we go, uh, all right, next slide. That's just a snippet of the internal issues in the church. Now let's go to the external issues. Because the persecution is not only from what we've, what we've termed internal, but it's also coming from the dominant power of the day, which is Rome. And it begins in earnest. You know, Christians were not necessarily liked a lot in Rome among the Roman pagans. But they weren't um, complete outcasts just yet. They were tolerated, I guess you might say, to one degree or another. Um, and until we get to, uh, to this guy, Nero, right here, that's who you see there with that concrete head up there. Nero is a he um, he is a person who is uh, has a big ego, and he runs politics uh, winner take all. The end justifies the means, and nothing counts but Nero. And so there's dispute over exactly what happened when Rome burned uh, in around. Uh, 66, I think, year 66 A.D. Uh, but most believe that Nero started the fire himself. 
for a couple of reasons. One, his popularity was flagging pretty seriously. Number two, he wanted to build a new palace so he could burn down a part of the city and make way for his palace. Um, and Rome burned. And what do you know of the scene? What's this? The, you know, you all... Yeah, well, that too. But he, he fiddled, you know, he's he playing the fiddle while the city burned. And he did exactly that. He blamed the Christians for doing so. Now, it's a, a minor sect. People were, they were an irritant, an annoyance. Uh, and he could cast blame on them. He did. Uh, Christians were gathered up. And some were, you know, wrapped in... Um, like uh, Lady Gaga's meat dress. Have y'all ever seen her in her meat dress? You know Lady Gaga. Oh, now. Y'all seen her in her meat dress? Okay. Sort of like that. Anyway, put them out, and the dogs would rip them to shreds, light people on fire at night. There's a quote on the bottom right-hand side. Uh, there... Uh, Tacticus, besides being put to death, they were made objects of amusement. They were clad in the hides of beasts and torn from dogs. Others were crucified. Others set on fire to serve. So we begin to have these external persecutions. This comes at a time when there was a revolt back at the mother, uh, the mother, back in Jerusalem and Israel. There's a revolt against the Romans, a Jewish revolt, and the Christians. Uh, in Jerusalem fled uh, at the beginning of the revolt. Go to the next slide. Yeah, there you go. So this is a rebellion and the destruction of the temple. All this is torn down. The Romans tear everything down. Uh, to the left, I was trying to portray the model of old Jerusalem and the temple mount there. And to the right is a, an archaeological site. Those boulders on the bottom there where the walls have been tumbled down. Christians have fled. This sort of marks the the uh, this the, se the, the separation. Up until this point, there was kind of an intermixture of Christians and Jews, and they were all kind of kind of they were trying to figure out their thing and all those internal strifes going on. And when the Christians fled from the seventy revolt out into the countryside and to the other parts of the earth. This separates the Jewish strand of history and Christian history. It's kind of the demarcation point, if you will, of, uh, of those two histories right there. And, and the Christians uh, become uh, dispersed. And in your Bibles, you will have um, some description of this suffering that then occurs to Christians at the hands of both Romans and Jewish people. And we could start with, both books of Peter address uh, this suffering situation. Peter, I'm in First Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, 
for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied. And then he goes in, as you know, your book of Peter is all about enduring unjust suffering. It's all about. So the church then is born in the triumph, we could say the triumph of suffering. And we could look at Christ's example, death, burial, resurrection, and the unjust crucifixion, uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and His commands that we are to be like Him, to share in His sufferings. And we see the very body of Christ suffering unjustly, immediately, as it's formed as an ecclesia or as a church body, uh, as a fellowship of believers. This, then, is the birth of the church. It's born in suffering. And, and strife as the truth of Christ is contended for in the world. So, what was life like in these church communities, in these little small places out and about? First of all, life in the early church, they were meeting in houses. They were, um, you know, obviously there are no church buildings. They were booted out of the synagogues. So, they're meeting in houses and other places, perhaps the back room of a store, perhaps a cemetery. They're meeting uh, wherever they can find a, a spot that is safe. What was worship like? We believe it to be not unlike, we, actually we know it to be, much like what we did today. Psalms uh, uh, and songs sung. Prayers offered to the Lord, a time of teaching, the breaking of bread, meaning the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, all of those things, and the circulation of writings and texts. So texts begin to emerge as the gospel um, renditions are written. And these are written in... Uh, 50, the year 50 on up to about 100 or so, that time frame where we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of the letters, the epistles, uh, Paul's writings, Acts, all of it, the book of Revelation, and they're circulated through the churches as texts. Of course, all of these churches had the Old Testament, and uh, that was recognized as Scripture too, and Jesus as the fulfillment, uh, the Messiah of all those Old Testament promises, so you had the readings. You had prayer, you had a time of teaching, breaking bread, fellowship. This is the life of the church. This is the physical manifestation of the inward spiritual reality of the saved people called elect people of God. This is the way they live life together in this fallen world. Amidst substantial persecution and troubles. So that's what worship was like. Uh, increasing circulation by the text. By the year 100, all 27 epistles are complete and in circulation. How was the church led? The church was led as what we believe we're operating under now. You had um, elders appointed in the congregations. Um, you had deacons 
serving deacon roles. You had those who were devoted to teaching, uh, teaching the Word of God and so forth. That's how uh, the church was led. And that's what life is in the, uh, in the early church. Next slide. And so, as we come to the end of the first century, John, who writes the book of Revelation, dies in about the year 97 to 100. This is the last apostle to die. It is the end of the apostolic age. There are no more people left who knew Jesus directly and witnessed him. So John dies about uh, the year 100, I think I said 97. How many, what is the scale of Christianity? So, so within the Roman Empire, that's the map, uh, map in the background, the darker orange area, that's the Roman Empire of the time. Within that area, there's about 65, what's that say up there? 60 to 75 million people. That's about the population of Britain today, I think it is. Within that total area, there's about 25 to 40,000 people. That's about the size of South Haven. Spread through all. I mean, they're not a lot. It's a tiny, it's a tiny, minuscule fraction of people uh, that are considered Christian. If you look on the map over on the right hand, you'll see the green dots. Uh, those are where uh, some of the major uh, Christian congregations are. Of course, there's one over in Rome. They're in, in other places. And that's how we how we close out the first century and start thinking about what is next in the second century of Christianity when the church is faced with this. How will the leadership transition? How will the teaching go forward when there is no apostle with direct knowledge of the times of Christ to sort of be around, you know, where, how will this thing go forward? How will we live in an increasingly hostile Rome? And Rome ramps up its hostility and grows and it grows and it grows. How, will this, how are we going to do these things? All of these become challenges for the church. And we'll see in the next session as we get into, let's see, what's on the next slide? Uh, that's the timeline. You can't read that. Go on to the next one. Uh, the post-apostolic age, the martyrs to Constantine. So we'll see the early church fathers as they begin to defend the faith from various heresies that will creep in, constantly fighting, constantly, constantly, vigilant. It's like, has anybody ever raised sheep? Okay. I... Where am I glad? You raised sheep? Did you really? All right. Good for you. It's like you have to constantly, constantly watch sheep because they're always, they're prone to wander as we sing. They're prone to do really stupid stuff. Sheep are so dumb. They have to have a shepherd. They have to be cared for. They have to be and lovingly cared for. You can't kick them because they're stupid. 
my, my point is this. I'm not sure what my point is. Uh, my, my, point, <laughs> my point is the church is constantly having to watch out. We do it in our day. Their error tries to seep in from every side. The truth of Jesus, the honor and the glory of Christ is continually, continually under assault. Continually. And so all of these things crop up in year after early on and then the early church fathers have to defend it and there have to be apologies written, not apologies in the sense that I'm sorry, but proofs of the faith written. There have to be defenses against the mighty power of Rome against these humble group of people trying to live life. Anyway, this is the story of the church. The sheep story. Here it is. I, I got my sheep because I wanted to see what it's like to raise sheep because the Bible talks, talks about sheep. <laughs> I wonder what it's like to really be a shepherd. And I only had, I think I had five at the most. Here's the thing. There's a psalm, um, and I can't think of the actual scripture quote now, but I went down in the pasture one day. I'm sorry, I can't think of the, the scripture. I can't think of the verse I'm looking for. But the sheep was upside down on its back. How it got there, nobody knows. And the sheep cannot right itself. The only way, and it will die. So it gets in stupid trouble, rolls over, it's on its back, and it will die if it lays there over five or six hours. The shepherd has to pick the sheep up, right itself, and then hold it steady and let it calm down. That's, that's the, 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 the imagery of we are the sheep of his pasture. That's how we are. That's how we are. Jesus is the head of the church and the good shepherd. And he takes all, he takes all these troubles and he makes them right. That's our, that's our good shepherd, so, and only loosely related to our points on church history here. But nonetheless, that's the case.